Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, AWS enterprise strategist Jake Burns and Gregor Hope discuss how enterprise leaders can prepare for what the future might bring. When we talk about the future, it always reminds me of this famous saying that predictions are difficult to make, especially those that go into the future. But more seriously, I think actually that the way we deal with the future for enterprises has changed a good bit because there's so much movement, so much change going on that it's less about predicting things as maybe more reacting and sort of seeing what's coming your way. Right, right. More about being ready for whatever comes. Yeah, and I don't think that's sort of a license to just like sit back and see what happens, right? So I think there's a balance, but it's definitely no longer about you know, five-year plans, I think. Right. Well, if not anything, the pandemic has told us that that doesn't work as well. So maybe we look out, I don't know, what's a good time frame for enterprises to look out into? Well, I think many have to look out at least a year for annual budgets, just because they have to, right? But um, I mean, I think there's different levels, right? I mean, I think in a sense, you should be ready to change direction on an hourly basis, you know, like at one level, right? And another level, maybe a weekly, maybe a monthly. Um, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah, it reminds me of a nice framework, though, a typical sort of classic management strategy framework, the three horizons, right? The one horizon is, you know, what's the business you're currently in? Right, and basically good operations, solid operations being profitable. The second horizon is sort of, well, what's near? Like, how do you improve? What's sort of the next step? And then I think the third horizon is like, well, what could be something completely different? Something that disrupts you, something that completely replaces the, the kind of business that you're in. And I think maybe having those, like having clarity about which horizon things are in is probably a good thing. Yeah, and I think also there's a difference between the horizon, which there's clearly uh, advantages to having a long horizon, perhaps even longer than five years, um, but being able be, and being willing and being uh, able to kind of change direction when needed. So in other words, you can have a yes. five-year plan, you could change that perhaps 100 times before you reach that five years. Yeah, and I have a you know, famous saying for this, like I used to work at a you know sort of very stable company, and I always said when the reality doesn't match the plan, we blame reality. <laughs> so I think that mindset we have to change quite a bit because otherwise you will be blaming reality quite a lot, I assume. Right, right. So I wonder if the, uh, the concept of future-proofing, maybe it's a flawed concept in and of itself. I think so. I don't, I don't see the proof like a way to proof yourself against it. I think you can prepare yourself better, right? Maybe future prepared, future ready might be another slippery slope, but I think it's going to be hard to prove yourself because you know, in the end, so many things in flight, so many things coming up. As part of that though, what I think something that has shifted dramatically when we look at how enterprises um, maneuver right into the future is, it used to be that the business strategy purely drives the technology strategy, right? We know what we want to do as a business, and from that we derive what sort of tech we need. If we look at the tech roadmaps, there's some pretty amazing stuff coming down the line, and maybe even more than a usual enterprise can, can use in, in one run, but I've seen much more of a symmetry where there are business decisions that drive your technology choices, but there's also technology evolution 
that's going to drive your right. business choice. Certainly in the sense that your capabilities increase. And so the possibilities of how you do business and which businesses you enter and in which way and how quickly you could do that um, changes over time as the technology gets better. Yeah, and I have a great example, actually, one we talk about a lot is, so many businesses change their strategy from a product to a service model. Right? And it's a classic example. Instead of you know, um, turbines and generators, you sell kilowatt hours as a provider, and instead of train engines, you sell passenger kilometers, right? You make it as a service, just like you know, we sell you know, hardware and IT infrastructure as a service. And that's a great business strategy, but that business strategy is only really possible because of the supporting technology, right? Because if you sell passenger kilometers, whenever the train engine isn't, you know, the train isn't running, you're not earning any money. So without IoT, sensors, AI, you know, predictive maintenance, with all these technologies, it would be yeah, a little bit of a foolish business model to step into. So I think that's a good example of how the technology has made certain business models possible or at least viable. And the way I always like to look at it is people say like, oh, this is great business model, right? You go from selling a product to providing a service. And the counter question I always ask is like, well, if that's such a great idea, why didn't we all do this 30 <laughs> years ago? And the answer invariably is, well, we didn't have the technology that stands behind it. So it's, it's sort of a two-step process maybe. There are some business strategies that have been known for a while, but the technical enablers haven't right. been there or at least not sufficient. And then sort of seeing what's coming down the tech roadmap allows you to sort of take those business strategies out of your drawer and then actually be quite successful with that. Yeah, interesting. You know, I think even more generally, uh, technology has changed the way that we think about strategy. You know, for example, I would say cloud um, you know, change the way that we do IT and more broadly how we do business. Um, and the way I like to think about it is, you know, we traditionally were playing a game of you have to be right the first time, you know, in IT, right? <laughs> you only have one guess, business. right? Yeah, exactly, because there's high consequences to being wrong. You spend a lot of money, a lot of time and effort in planning. Um, but when you're in a pay-for-consumption model of cloud, then the better strategy, if you continue with that strategy, it's a flawed strategy. It still works, but you're not taking advantage of those capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. You're kind of you have a better technology, but you haven't improved your business processes as a result. So instead, it makes sense to kind of think of the game as you only have to be right once. And so try many, many things. Try to get through as many iterations as possible. Identify the ones that have potential and double down on those. Yeah, I think that's an important positive note because we, might, it's, we made it sound sort of a little bit you know, maybe difficult or gloomy, right? How we can we possibly predict the future? But at the same time, technology allows you to reduce the cost of being wrong. Right? And if the cost of being wrong is low, I find this to be a much less stressful <laughs> exercise, right? Because, well, you can have an, another try. You can have And actually, guess. you know, I believe that's the, the, the main way to innovate. You know, everyone's chasing innovation. They love the word innovation. But, you know, I, to innovate, I believe you need to experiment. Now, to experiment, um, you're going to only be able to experiment so much when you have a high cost of failure. So if you focus... Um, as a strategy to reduce the cost of failure within your organization in general, that will lead to more innovation in general. Mm. And that's a topic that's very close to my heart is because we started by changing from prediction to being able to react. And behind that, of course, stands the notion that change is going to be continuous, right? You're never going to be able to be in a steady state because even if your steady state is perfect, the world around you is going to change and then tomorrow you're no longer 
in a, in a perfect state. So if you take that sort of to, to heart and say like we're living in a world of constant change, your current position is no longer that meaningful. So I often say that we start to live and think in the first derivative, right? Like only things that are moving become interesting in how fast they are moving. And what you mentioned about the experiment is a classic example of this. Traditionally, we always look for the perfect use case. Right? What is the use case? What's the business case attached to the use case? What's the recovery horizon? And if you apply sort of the, the first derivative thinking to that, what you should be talking about is cost of experimentation. Right. Like how much does one element cost me? And just like I no longer buy servers for like $100,000, I get them for a few dollars an hour, I can run experiments now for also a few dollars an hour, and that's the cost of experimentation, I think, that businesses. Yeah. And then having that capability causes organizations to tend to experiment more because they know that yeah. the consequence is less, right? But also, you know, um, we tend to think about this when we talk about future-proofing, right? It's a very negative connotation. It's like the future uh, is, is scary, right? Because what we have today is not going to work then. But when we get to this point where we're running those uh, experiments on a continual basis, then, you know, we look at change as an opportunity. Right, instead of, you know, so future-proofing is, it's not really uh, the right mental model for what we're talking about. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think you hinted at something else in this context. The technology part of the experiment is only half the equation, right? And there's no shortage of exciting technologies coming our way. But the other half of the experiment is evaluating how the technology did for you as an enterprise and then making a decision based on that. And I think that's where I see organizations struggle. And you touched on this a little bit, right? It's relatively easy to adopt a new technology, but it's much harder to change your way of working to really take advantage of that. And that is when the second half of the cycle is, is missing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not only uh, important for you know, IT, for example, to, to transform. It's also important for the greater business to understand the capabilities of that transformation. Otherwise, it's like the transformation was invisible to the business. Yeah, I've written a blog post actually about this, and I said, when somebody says IT should become agile, you can stop the conversation <laughs> right there, because the whole point of being agile is to prioritize your IT investments by business value. Now, who is the one who knows the business value? That's obviously not the IT, that's the business. So by definition, the IT cannot become agile without participation of the business. And that's a common failure mode I, I do. That's interesting. You know, I remember at some point in my career, it was like when we were implementing cloud or right before, I had this kind of epiphany. You know, being an IT leader, you kind of, you think of IT and the business, right? And it's like the business is always changing its mind. They plan for one thing, they want to do another thing. And, you know, it's a nuisance. It's a problem. It's something that you have to react to, right? It's, it's a headache if you're, you know, if you're a leader in, in IT to have to manage these things and change your plans. But then I had the realization that that's the way business should operate. You know, if we just blindly did what we planned for next year, every year, there would be no innovation. There would be no reacting to the market. There would be no, there'd be less value delivered to customers ultimately. Yeah, there's a famous saying that uh, goes, a late change in requirements is a competitive 
advantage. Right, right. Because you have an idea, something new that gives you an edge, and then in the traditional model, late changes are unwelcome, right? Because, oh, we have this, you know, 12-month plan, this 18-month plan, we have everything budgeted, right? But in the end, that's, of course, the antithesis of being successful in a fast-moving world. You need to welcome late changes. Yes, frequent late changes, perhaps even, if you have the capability to fulfill them. Yeah, and I think those capabilities we have, I mean, it's the technologies like we have in the cloud, continuous integration, agile methods, you know, DevOps. So I think, same as with the train engine example, we have the technical capabilities now to work in the ways where you know, late change is no longer anything unusual, anything we should fight, but that's just the way we conduct business. The, the example I often give me, I worked in Silicon Valley for almost a decade, and in all those years, no one ever said, we need to talk to the business, right? It was just like business and technology had really come together. And I always have to sort of grin a little bit when people talk about shadow IT. It's like, oh, the business wants to do technology things. And I said, well, in, it's fundamental that's a good thing because the business probably has good ideas. Now, we want to make sure that this doesn't you know, turn into a giant you know, chaos and a giant mess, but fundamentally, the business having an interest in technology and wanting to do something with it, I consider very positive. Sure, sure, and I'd say in, in modern businesses, especially in Silicon Valley, you know, the business leaders are technology leaders. Yeah, so that brings us to the organizational side, right? If you want to future-proof with some, some air quotes, right? I think one thing you also need to do is future-proof your leaders, right? So, and I'm 100% with you. There was a recent study that just showed that more CEOs come from a technical background, even in non tech companies, because it used to be sort of the CFO, the COO, those are the kind of folks who moved up the ladder, and it seems like that's shifting a little bit, and not just in sort of Silicon Valley techie companies. And, well, actually, our prior CEO where I worked, he made a statement very much along those lines. He said, if technology is the future of our business, I need everybody to understand right. technology. Right, yeah, interesting. So if we were, because this does come up from customers from time to time, how do we future-proof our enterprise, right? Um, it sounds like, well, future-proofing your leaders would be one thing, right? Um, I assume that means uh, hiring leaders and, or developing leaders that are willing to change and can change direction, willing to take calculated risks, et cetera. What are some other things uh, that would be good pieces of advice for a traditional organization? So, yeah, first one you mentioned is, yeah, expect constant change and a high rate of change and be optimized for that. Second one I would say, well, we just mentioned it also, you can no longer have these giant layers where sort of IT is something down far away in the engine room and you sort of put money and requirements documents in and something comes back out. So you need to have a close relationship to your engine room. Right? You gotta know what's going on inside your IT. And then the third one I would say is you need a high amount of rigor and discipline, which is sometimes counterintuitive. Because people think sort of agility and high rate of change is like, oh, I just sort of shoot from the hip because I don't even know what's coming next week. But exactly the opposite is true. The organizations that deal with high rates of change well are organizations that are extremely disciplined. They're very data-driven. So when they run an experiment, they don't do what they wish would have happened. They do something based on the actual data 
that came back. And that's definitely something I can relay from Silicon Valley. The outside in image is always, oh, it's sort of, you know, short pants and you have your dogs at work and whatever, right? <laughs> sort of easy going, lucky go happy. But in the end, we were actually much more disciplined in our decision making than I find many traditional enterprises. That's a great to be. point, you know, um, because to continue to do what you're doing doesn't require a lot of discipline. It doesn't require love effort, really, right? But to be always kind of questioning what you do and always looking for evidence to the contrary, that in a way is a way you can become future-proof, right? Because the future is less of a surprise than if you are truly data-driven, if you are you know, understanding your customers on a daily basis, and as their needs change, you can be ahead of that. In a way, that is kind of uh, allows you to kind of future-proof your organization, whereas if you allow yourself to kind of be caught by surprise, then future-proofing becomes much more of an issue. Yeah, and maybe a nice metaphor is that, you know, if we think about the future, it's pretty much a blank canvas right now. There's so much stuff you could be doing. And if you think about it, it's a quite creative exercise, I find, and I find that a lot of fun. But you, what you invariably see is that folks in creative um, endeavors, right, like who are in creative arts, they are all very disciplined. They will wake up in the morning and make 10 sketches, and maybe nine out of them go into the bin, but they will still make 10, and they will make 10 more. So they have a very disciplined process that unleashes their creativity. And I think that's something that enterprises can really learn, how to deal with the increased levels of uncertainty, be creative, but at the same time be disciplined. Yeah, I think anyone who's tried to do any serious writing understands that concept. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights for more on these topics.